Welcome to another inspirational teaching by Pastor Mike Foreman, Senior Pastor of the First Baptist Church of Level Plains. For more information about Pastor Mike and the church, please visit our website at www.fbclp.life. Let's join Pastor Mike now as he shares from God's Word. That's awesome. Thank the Lord that He is great, isn't He? He's awesome. Praise the Lord. I thought we were going to do another song. I wasn't sure. (laughs) Well, good to see you. Glad to be in God's house this morning. Amen. Amen. Well, you'll take your copy of God's Word. Begin to find Mark's Gospel, chapter 8. Mark's Gospel, chapter 8. We're in school. Hallelujah. School has started. And kiddos are back in. Yay. You're glad to be back in school. Well, good. Well, I know that uh, one of the challenges that teachers face is the uh, discipline of uh, their students. I came across this story, this retired Marine sergeant uh, decided to go into teaching. And so he found out that his assignment was going to be at a high school. And uh, he had a pretty rambunctious group of kids that he was going to have to uh, sort of tend to and, and keep in line. And so um, right before school started, he was out doing some work in his yard and he, he hurt his back pretty bad. And so the, the doctor uh, put him in a, a hard cast around his upper chest area. And, and so uh, it was really good that he could, you know, cover it up. He didn't seem like it was too bulky, you know. And he's worried about what the kids would think or say and that sort of thing. And so uh, he goes to uh, class on the first day. And the kids are all, you know, they heard he was a, a Marine sergeant. They're just kind of wondering, what's this going to be like? And, you know, he's wondering what it's going to be like and that sort of thing. And he's worried about, you know, discipline in the classroom. So he goes into the classroom. And the first thing he does, he walks over to the window. And he opens the window up just real tall. And then he goes and he sits down at his desk. And he waits for a little bit. And the breeze comes in and moves his tie a little bit. Well, when it moves his tie, he just promptly reaches over, grabs the stapler, pushes his tie there, and staples two staples into his chest, holding his tie still. (laughs) Needless to say, he didn't have any problems out of his students all year. (laughs) I think they got the message, right? Well, my point today is to say to you, I hope that you'll, you'll hear and get the message that God has for us today. Uh, quite honestly, you know, when I p- prepared these ser- sermons, this series, uh, a few months back, I knew that it would be a challenging series. I sort of feel like, in some respects, that I'm in revival mode. I don't know if you know what I mean, but if you remember old day revivals, we don't have them anymore, but we'd have old day revivals and there would be some pretty hard preaching at the church. I sort of feel like that's sort of where I'm at these few days is to really just sort of grab our attention and remind us of what the mission's all about. It's not about just our comfort and, and living um, uh, any way we want to live, but to, to really walk with Jesus. And so uh, I really feel compelled to preach this series, First Things First. And you notice I underlined that, you know, realigning our priorities. Our priorities are easy to get out of whack, especially in the summertime. You know, when summertime comes, you know, I took a two-week vacation. It was great to get away and, and to uh, spend some time with my bride, who I love. And uh, we just had a grand old time being away for uh, two weeks. And, and yet, I have to say that I'm a routine kind of guy. And so uh, I like getting back to routine. And so, um, 
you know, one of the things that I'm trying to help us to do is not get back into a routine because sometimes routine's not good. But really what I want us to do is as the summer has come to a close, the school is picking, picking up and you are getting back in your routine, that you will consider in your routine realigning your priorities because we give ourselves to a lot of stuff. Amen? Uh, our kids do a lot of stuff. We do a lot of stuff. And sometimes we get our priorities upside down. And so I want to sort of challenge us in the area of our priorities over the next, uh, I guess, three more weeks at least. So, um, you know, one of the, the things that Jesus is going to call on us today is this, um, this lifestyle of fellowship. What does it really look like to be a follower of Jesus? You know, we talk about the word disciple and uh, when we talk about what is discipleship, what does a disciple look like? Well, a disciple, according to Lord Jesus Christ in Mark 8, is, is one who, who follows him. And so I want to talk a little bit this morning about following him. But it, as we do, I want you to understand something. Please understand the premise right up front. It is not easy to follow Jesus. We've been, we've been told a lie. By a lot of people. A lot of preachers who want you to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. We bought into a lot of theology that just says, you know, God just thinks you're the most beautiful thing in the world. And, you know, because of that, your world's going to be perfect now. You're going to have all the money you need. You're going to have all the clothes you ever needed. You're going to have all the cars you ever needed. And they've sold Jesus as a peddler of goods. Folks, I'm just going to be honest with you. That's not Christianity. That's not the truth of the Bible. And we're going to find this morning the very tough message that Jesus preaches about being disciples, being followers of Jesus, that it's not necessarily so easy. Now, I want you to understand up front, too, that as I say that, as I say that, that following Jesus isn't easy, I want you to understand that what I'm going to preach today has nothing to do with religion. I want you to understand that what Jesus is offering here in this text is not an alternate religion to Judaism. That is not what he's saying. He's not talking to the crowd of people and to his disciples to say, Hey, Judaism isn't working. Come follow me and I'll give you this new religion. It's not what Jesus is offering here. The other thing I want you to hear me loud and clear to say is that as Jesus is giving an offer and he's talking to the crowd of people, and by the way, there's two types of crowds in there listening. There are the crowd of people who are not going to follow him. And then there are the crowd of people who are going to follow him. And by the way, there really is a third crowd. There are already some who are already following him. We call them the disciples, but not even all of them were on board. We know that Judas Iscariot really wasn't on board. He wasn't a believer. And so he walked with Jesus all that time, yet he's the son of hell because he never was on board. He was a fake. He was a phony. He was a person that John wrote about who was of them, but never really a part of them, right? He never re really was redeemed in his body. So I'm not asking you this morning to submit to a religion that Jesus is trying to offer here. The other thing I want to say to you is that we're not talking about some kind of do-good-ism either. I'm not talking about, you know, let's just pick up the, you know, ourselves by the bootstraps and let's just be better Christians. That's, that's not what I'm trying to to pedal here this morning. I don't, I don't want you to hear that I'm trying to sell you on something because my, my life demonstrates as, as I try to pull up my own bootstraps that I, I'm a failure at that. But when I live in the power and I live in the presence of Jesus Christ, 
That's when I can be the Christian he wants me to be. It's when I submit myself to follow him, wholly committed with all my heart, that he empowers me to live the Christian life. Amen. Amen. So as we think about this morning's message, and as we think about, and I said that revival mode, it's not about you saying, I'm just going to be better. I'm just going to do more. That's, that's a waste of time, friends. Amen. But at the same token, as we walk with Christ, as we submit ourselves to him, as we walk in his grace, there are some priorities, there are some things in our life that we need to change. For, for example, just, I know it's a long introduction, but just hang in with me. But listen to what Paul says to Titus in chapter 2. Verses he said, for the grace of God that brings salvation. Now we're talking about Jesus saving us, right? For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. And here's what it does. Teaching us what? Denying ungodliness and worldly lusts. That we should live soberly and righteously and godly in this present age. Looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed. And purify for himself his own special people zealous for good work. So there is this idea by which out of my walk with Jesus. Out of this relationship that I have with him. He is producing in me this desire to please him, to be holy, to let some things go, to realign my priorities, but also to do some things, right? To be zealous, what do you say? To good works. So the call that Jesus is giving to the crowd to follow him in Mark 8 is not about religion. It's not about do better. It's about, and I'll give it to you in a summary, submission. And if you want to write that at the top of your notes and don't listen to anything else I said, you got it. It's about submission. So I want you to see as Jesus is speaking to us, what he has to say, and open your ears this morning. No, open your heart and listen to the words afresh. It's very familiar to us, but listen to it afresh this morning. Listen to what he says. And when he had called, verse 34, and when he had called the people to himself with his disciples also. So Jesus just had this private moment with his disciples. <laughs> and he told them something they didn't want to hear. He told them, I'm going to die. <laughs> that's not what they wanted to hear. And Peter says, that's not what we want to hear. And so Jesus has to rebuke Peter. And it's interesting that when he rebukes Peter, in verse 33, he says, but when he t- turned around and looked at his disciples, he then rebuked Peter. It's like he's, he's looking at the other guys saying, guys, if this is your mentality, that you're going to keep me from going to the cross, that I'm not supposed to die. I want you all to understand what I'm saying to Peter. It applies to you also that this is God's plan and this is what's going to happen. And he gets done rebuking Peter, verse 34, and when he had called the people to himself, that there was a crowd that were following Jesus. Everywhere Jesus went, he seemed to have a crowd of people chasing him down. And so there's a crowd of people there, and so he calls the crowd over, and his disciples are there, and listen to what he says to them. Whoever desires... Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. 
For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake and for the gospels will save it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, to him the Son of Man also will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. I want you to understand this morning that what Jesus is offering is, Jesus' offering is twofold. It is an offering unto salvation. It's a call unto salvation. He is talking to the generic crowd and he's saying to the crowd, if you really desire to come after me. That word desire is a strong word. If you really, in your heart of hearts, if you really desire, if you pant after me, if you really desire to be a follower of mine, then here's what you have to do. Now, Jesus is not giving a three-step fold presentation on how to be saved. The whole idea is that if you're going to follow and desire after Jesus, it's about Jesus who is salvation. Amen? He is not about salvation. He is the salvation. Amen? He is the one who is the atonement for your sins. He is the one who rose from the dead. He is the one that was the perfect sacrifice. He is the one, and he's calling people to salvation, saying, if you want me salvation, understand it's going to cost you. Understand that it's not easy. See, the problem is today what we do is we preach an easy believism. We say, all you have to do is come to Jesus. You say this prayer, you walk this aisle, and all you're going to do is say this prayer, and your life's going to be easy. And we put low commitments, and we say, you don't have to commit to anything. All you got to do is come to Jesus and live your life. And all you got to do is hang in there and wait until he comes back and gets you, and you have fire insurance. <laughs> we preach this easy believism. And then the problem is when the preacher stands up and he preaches a hard message, people go, oh, I just can't take that. I just can't take that. And here they were following Jesus. And they had followed Jesus. Listen, you know why they followed Jesus? They followed Jesus because Jesus did miracles. They followed Jesus because his teaching had authority and power that the Pharisees didn't have. They were attracted to him. And so they followed him, not because he was good looking, by the way. Isaiah said he wasn't. And so they followed him. But Jesus often had to remind the crowd, hey guys, you can follow me and watch the miracles I do. You can listen to the teachings that I give. But when it boils down to it, are you going to commit yourself to me or not? See, that's the thing. We come to church, we have a good time, we fellowship, and the question Jesus is asking us this morning is, are we going to change our priorities to be committed to Him? Are we going to realize that following Jesus isn't about sitting on a pew, soaking up all that we can soak up, so that one day we have fire insurance and go to heaven? That's the question we need to ask ourselves. What mode am I in this morning? Am I a follower of Jesus, committed all my life, submitting to him, or am I just riding the pine until my day is over? Amen? You with me this morning? I told you it was a hard message. But remember, I have to live it before I have to preach it. I've spent time, weeks into this text, and... It scares me when I look at my life sometimes and think, boy, Mike, are you willing to take the hit for the gospel? 
And that's what he's talking about. So let's, let's just break it down. I'm just going to talk about verse 34 first. And that's sort of the meat of the message. And I want you to see what Jesus says. Go back to verse 34. He says, and he called the people to himself and his disciples there. So he's talking to people who are following him, disciples, right? And he's talking to people who are not following him, the crowd. So, yeah, they're following in the sense of physically, but they haven't committed spiritually to him. They haven't made him the Savior. They haven't called him Lord yet. They've not given their all to him. And he makes this call to them. So he's making a call to the crowd. He's making a call to the believers who are following. And listen to what he says. What does it look like to desire him? What does it look like to really follow him? He says, whoever desires to come after me. By the word, the word come after me is not much different than follow me. If you desire to come after you, if you desire Jesus to be your savior, if Jesus is your Lord of your life, then what does it look like to make him Lord? What does it look like to be a committed follower of Jesus Christ? I think we need to ask ourselves that because it's been blurred by the television. It's been blurred by the books that we read. It's been blurred by sermons that we have heard. It's been blurred. So what does Jesus say? What does Jesus say that is the result or the, the, the application of salvation to my life as a disciple? When I say, yes, I am saved. Yes, I belong to Jesus. Yes, he is the Lord in my life. Then what does my life look like? First of all, he says, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Wow. Wow. That word deny is another strong word that Jesus uses. That word literally, if you were to look it up in a Greek dictionary, that word literally means, listen to what it means, to have no association with or to disown completely. What am I saying then? If I'm saying, Jesus, you are my master, you are my Lord, you are my Savior, what am I saying? My life is not my own anymore. Mike Foreman belongs to Jesus Christ. Think about that. That's tough. Because listen, I don't want to be anybody's slave. I want to be in control of my life. Amen? But Jesus says, I need to deny myself. Strong word, disown. What is Jesus not saying? Let me tell you what he's not saying. Here's where we missed it. Here's what he's not saying. First of all, he's not saying that I have to do without in life. He's not saying, well, go sell everything and go live in a shoebox. That's not what he's saying. Don't misunderstand. It's not that we can't have any luxury in life. It's not that we can't have a a decent life. That's not what he's saying. See, the monks got it wrong. Not everybody's called to be a monk and go live in a mountain and hide away with nothing. No, that's not what he's saying. Neither is he saying, I got to develop this kind of low self-esteem. Or I have to have some kind of self-hatred of myself. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying, I want to go, Mike is just a big jerk. He's just an idiot. He's stupid. He's dumb. Now listen, be honest with you, sometimes I say those things. But, you know, I'm not an idiot. I'm not dumb. I'm not stupid. Listen, that's not what he's saying to me. He's not saying that's how you disown yourself. That has has nothing to do with it. Neither is he saying, "Do do I get rid of my own personal identity? Listen, I am a dad. I am a pastor. I am Mike Foreman. Amen? I am a person. And I'm not laying down my identity. I'm not saying I'm nobody anymore. That's not what I'm saying. I know it's not good English, but you'll understand it. And so, you understand what I'm saying this morning? It is not about those things. Neither, listen, neither, I wrote in my notes, neither is it that we lose all rational thinking and just become a robot. God is not looking for that. 
As a matter of fact, do you know some of the smartest people in the world? Do you realize that some of the greatest things that have ever been accomplished in our nation and throughout the world have been done by Christian people who were brilliant people, who did not lay down rational thinking, who still kept their thinking caps on, and who were still real people? It is not that I become some kind of robot, but I still have my mind and my rational thinking. So what is it? Jesus, what are you saying to me? Well, I wrote down five things. Here's what I want you to write them down. Five things that I think Jesus is getting at and what this word really means about self-denial. First of all, number one, I abandon my self-righteousness for his. Jesus is talking to a crowd of people who are lost. And you know what he's saying is, if you desire to come after me, what you're going to have to understand, you got to quit trying to be righteous on your own. Your righteousness ain't going to cut it. Amen? I'm so tired of hearing people say, well, I'm a good person. Who cares? There's a lot of good people that are going to bust hell wide open. Jesus is saying, if you're going to follow me, then listen, lay down, abandon your self-righteousness. And listen, Christian, listen to me loud and clear. Now that you're saved, you're not to still try to bring about your own righteousness. You're still living in the righteousness of Jesus Christ who empowers us and who motivates us to change our wanter to want to live righteous, right? He helps us to live right. That's why the Holy Spirit has been given to you to empower you to live a righteous life, to live a fruitful life according to what Paul says in Galatians with the fruit of the Spirit, right? And so he empowers us. So we need to abandon our self-righteousness. The second thing we need to do is we need to stop being self-reliant and trust him. Amen? A disciple is one who says... I know I lack. I know I don't have what I need. So I want to trust him who has all. Amen? So I want to trust in him. I want to quit relying upon myself and trust in him. Thirdly, write this down. I submit my ambitions and plans for his. (laughs) Can I tell you? That's hard. Can I tell you how the church plans? Let me tell you how the church plans. The church plans. We sit in a council meeting and we say, you know what? Women's ministry is going to do this next year. Men's ministry is going to do that next year. Pastor's going to do that next year. Student ministry is going to do that next year. And when we get done, we say, God, bless all this mess. And what we ought to be saying is, God, we really feel led of the Spirit that women's ministry is going to do this. Student ministry is going to do this. As a pastor, I feel this way to, to preach and to lead the church. God, is that really you leading us? Because what we want to do is submit our plans, our ambitions to him. When I left the Air Force, you heard me tell the story a million times. You're probably getting tired of hearing it, but it's okay. That's all I know is me. When I got ready to leave the Air Force, I had, I had to submit my plans, my will, into the Father's and had to say, if that's what you want me to be, if you want me to be a preacher, that's where you want me to go and lead churches, then, God, that's what I'll do. And I said, no longer will I be in the Air Force. I'm going to be under God's ambitions and God's plans. I wish I could tell you everything in my life has been that perfect and that easy, but it hasn't been. The fourth thing I want you to write down is I relinquish my rights to myself. Boy, why is it that we live that way? We feel like we got a right to do a lot of stuff, don't we? You know, somebody does something against us, we have the right to get even. And we convince ourselves we have all these rights. We're, we're in such a, an American culture that talks about rights all the time. That we just have ingrained it in ourselves. That we got some rights to ourselves. Listen, when you are Jesus' follower, when you are owned by Jesus, you give up your rights for whatever he wants you to do. You, you say, you know what, I may have the right to go and 
you know, buy a fancy home, or I may have the right to go do this or to do that. And God's going to let you do some of those things. But listen, sometimes God whispers in our hearts clearer than it whispering in our ear. And he says to us, listen, that's not what I want for you. And I have to decide, am I going to give up my right to be happy, to be healthy, to be wealthy, to enjoy life? Or am I going to say, it's all yours, Jesus? And you're saying, you're taking that a little too far. Oh, just hang in there. We're, we're not even to the cross yet. And the reason why I say that is I'm getting you ready because I'm going to tell you something. The greatest fight you will have with yourself and denying yourself is picking up your cross. And it's not what you think it is. <laughs> Listen, the last number five, I didn't forget. Number five is that what he's looking for is an undivided love for him. He's saying you can't be undivided. You can't love me and money. You can't love me and the world. You got to love me supremely. He's got to be the the number one, right? The priority of our love. And by the way, I find that if I can make him the priority of my love and I love him with the top priority of my life, he helps me love my wife better. You know, he, he helps me love my children correctly. You know what? He helps me love my congregation that I serve better. It's when I'm out of alignment. When I don't have my priorities right, then I don't love my wife. We bicker and fight or, you know, I yell at my kids too much. Can you get, can I, can, Dad, can I get an amen in there? Amen. So not only, listen, we deny ourselves, but notice the text. Go back to the Bible. What does he say? Because that's what's most important. He says, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself. <laughs> then listen to what he says. Take up his cross. Take up his cross. You and I need to bear a cross. Now, I want you to think about a cross for a minute. The cross, we know all about it because it was so brought to our, our image with the passion of the Christ that the cross is not a pleasantry. We, we have taken it and we've glorified it. You know, we make it out of gold earrings and gold necklaces and, and we've got, you know, stickers and we've got paintings and, and we've sort of glorified it. But that would be like, you know, us, you know, Spurgeon said that would be like today, you wearing the electric chair around your neck. Your best friend was killed on the cross and you wear it around your neck. And I realize, don't get me wrong, I realize why some Christians do that. It's a great reminder, isn't it, of where our salvation came from, that he's not on the cross. He's not in the grave. He is alive. And our salvation has been bought by what he did on, the, on Calvary's tree. But let me tell you something. The cross in the day of Jesus was perfected by the Roman government. And when Jesus said to those people, take up your cross, in their minds they did not see anything but hardship. They did not see anything but public humiliation and shame. You realize, don't you, that a lot of people were, were they say up to probably 30,000 Jews were hung on crosses. And, and they would do that in the public display. And not only would they do that in public display, but the Romans would make you carry your cross to the place of crucifixion. We know that Jesus fell on the ground and somebody else, Simon Cyrenian, carried the rest of his cross up to the place called Golgotha, the place of the skull. So we know that there's this public shame because they also tell us that most people were crucified naked. They would just ridicule you in the streets. It was a, it was a way to say, if you want to be a criminal, we're going to make you to be a bad one. And so it was all about ridicule. It was all about public shame and humiliation. And so Jesus, when he says to them, take up your cross and follow me, Jesus is not talking about something lightly. Let me tell you what he's not talking about. He's not talking about your hardships in your life. 
He is not talking about the fact that you get sick. He is not talking about the fact that your kids have gone wayward. He's not talking about those things. See, that's the problem in the Christian life. We focus all about us. Well, I'm going through hard problems. So I've got to bear my cross. That's not what Jesus is saying. I know you're quiet because so many times you've been told that. But that's a lie. That's not what the scripture here is saying. Jesus is not saying it's about you enduring all your problems that you go through. Let me tell you something. Life is life. Amen? And you're going to go through those things, and that's called what? Patience. We have a word for that in the Christian faith. Go and read James chapter 1. <laughs> James says what? Don't, don't get all upset when you enter into various trials and diverse temptations. <laughs> right? He said, why? Because what God is doing is God is producing in you patience. Right? And he says, let, your, let, let patience have its perfect work. What's that perfect work? Maturing you to be like Jesus. So you're going through trials, you're going through tribulations, you're going through things in life that are causing you pain and suffering, and you're saying, oh, this is just my cross to bear. No, it's not your cross to bear. Your cross to bear is Jesus' cross that he bore, not the literal cross, not salvation's cross. Let me read it. You'll understand it better. Listen to the statement that I wrote. What is he saying? He is not saying that it's the struggles, but here's what he is saying, that we accept And we endure the consequences that come from being associated with Jesus and the gospel. That is that the cross that I bear is that I am a follower of Jesus Christ. And if that costs me rejection, if that costs me to hardship, and if that costs me to lose my life, I'm going to bear my cross. You with me? Totally different, isn't it? It's totally different. How do I know that? Listen to what he says. Verse 35. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will lose it for my sake and the gospels. So what Jesus is calling upon you and I today is to deny ourselves, but he's saying pick up the cross. In other words, don't be ashamed to be a follower of Jesus no matter what it may bring. We don't tell our friends about Jesus because we're afraid our friends go, oh, you're just a, a Jesus freak. What kind of weirdo are you? I'm losing my pants, sorry. It's not because I'm bagging, it's just because I'm losing weight. And uh, I'm losing some weight right now preaching. It's awesome. It's great. So what he's calling upon us to do is he's saying, listen, yeah, you got all that stuff in your world. That's great, you got all that stuff in your world. But listen, here's what I'm asking you to do. If you're going to be a follower of me, it's not about being ashamed of me. And we're going to talk about that in a minute, so you just hang, hold on to your seat. But here's what it's about. It's about saying, listen, Jesus, I am going to follow you whatever it costs me. Do you realize what he's calling upon? I gave you the first word at the very beginning, right? Did you write that word down? Big, bold, loud, submission. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about total submission. Talking about coldly giving God our lives. And listen, submitting to his will. No matter where it may lead me. No matter where it may cost me. It wasn't my plan to grow up and be a preacher. (laughs) A lot of other things I thought I would do. There's some days I still imagine when an ambulance goes by or a cop car goes by, Tim will tell you I'm like a dog chasing cars. I'm ready to go find out what's going on. <laughs> There's some days I thought, well, that's what I'm going to do the rest of my life. It's going to be fun. I'm going to do that. No, it's not what God had for my life. But listen, as a result of following him, submitting totally to him and following his will, it's going to cost you. And the problem with us is we don't want the cost. Why? Because we're told over here by these easy believers, by these 
preachers that are preaching a deuterogospel, we're told there, but, you're, but you're, your best life is now. No, it's not. No, it's not. My best life's in heaven. Amen? Doesn't mean that I have to be miserable now. But listen, even Paul, in all the affliction for the gospel that he took, was he miserable? I don't hear him saying he's miserable. I see him singing in a jail cell. Praise the Jesus Christ. I, say, I, hear him, I hear him sounding like Jesus. When Jesus was going through suffering, was he miserable? No. It says, for the joy that was set before him. If you're living, listen, if you're living your life for the here and now, then listen, you're not going to deny yourself and you're not going to bear the cross because it's all about you now. It's all about your comfort now. Just being honest. Boy, it hurts me too, doesn't it? And I told you, this is the hardest part of self-denial is picking up the cross and knowing I'm going to lose some friends because I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm going to have some people in the news media going to ridicule me and talk about how bigot I am. The sad reality is I'm going to have people in, the, in my own church who are going to think I'm a lunatic and a heretic because I'm even telling you, you need to deny yourself in a strong way. I'm even telling you to pick up your cross. You say, that's not what we've heard all of our life. I'm sorry. You didn't hear the truth. Here's the truth. This is what Jesus is saying. It's more than just the struggles and the worries of my life. It's not about me. It's about Jesus and the gospel. That's tough. I didn't like it when I found that out. I didn't like it when I read that. I didn't like it when I took those Greek words and and ran them across the the dictionary and found out what they really mean. It really bothered me because it's not what I learned all my life. Thirdly, notice what Jesus says, and we're winding down, I promise. Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Here it is. Take up his cross and follow. What is Jesus talking about there? I'll just be done. He's talking about total commitment. Follow him. Follow him. We sang in our Sunday school sing time this morning, following the footsteps of Jesus wherever they lead. I'm going to follow Jesus. Wherever he takes me, wherever he leads me, I'm going to follow him. And sometimes it's through some crooked roads. Sometimes the path is straight. Sometimes the mountain is steep. Sometimes the valley is dark. But wherever he leads me, I will follow. And I will stay behind him and I will follow him and be committed to him. Because why? He empowers me to be. His spirit enables me to be. And and I know that it's total commitment because listen to Luke's gospel. Luke is a parallel text. Luke 9, 57 to 62. Listen to what Jesus says about total commitment. It's not about turning back. Listen to what he says. Now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds have air, uh, the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Do you really want to follow that kind of guy? He says in verse 59, then he said to another, follow me. And he said, Lord, let me first go, go and bury my father. These are good things. These are not bad things. Let me go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and you preach the kingdom of God. In other words, you be committed. Are you willing to commit yourself totally? Verse 61. And another also said to him, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid farewell to them who are at my house. Verse 62. Jesus sums it up. But Jesus said to him, no, uh, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Jesus said, I want total commitment. Total commitment. 
So his followers make, here it is, write it down, make his relationship with Jesus top priority. Top priority. They're loyal to him and they're obedient to him as they commit themselves to walk with him. That's what we're talking about. Now, I know I must hurry, but I promise you need to wait for the last three verses because here's what he says. First of all, he gives us, I believe, it's like the incentives, right? He sort of gives us why. Why do we need to follow Jesus? Why is it that this commitment is so serious? If you look at verse 35, 36, 37, 38, there is this little conjunction, the word for. It's a purpose clause. He's telling us why. Why do you follow Jesus? Why is that? Well, first of all, he talks about the paradox. Notice in verse 35, he says, the paradox is this. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake and the sake of the gospels will save it. In other words, Jesus is saying is, if you reject me, if you, if you are not going to follow me, then at the end of your life, because you don't have salvation, you will be lost for eternity. But those who commit themselves to follow Jesus, those who are brought in by the gospel of Christ, those who are redeemed by his blood and are his children. Listen, even though life may not be hunky-dory here, listen, at the end of the road is eternal life. Amen? That's what he says. I'm not making it up. And he says that his life, he loses his life. Listen, loses his life for me and the gospel. Listen, that could be martyrdom. Even if you're killed for Jesus following... It's still good. <laughs> the paradox. Then, then there's verse 36, 37, the two questions. What is your soul worth? Listen to what he says. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? So what if you are healthy, wealthy, and wise? What if you are the most powerful person in the world, the richest person in the world? What if everything you desired in your life was peachy cream and everything turned out the way you wanted it to turn out? But you have not Jesus. You've sold your soul. Verse 37. What will a man give in exchange for? How valuable is your soul this morning? Then verse 38. He talks about being ashamed. Listen to what he says. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words... In this adulterous and sinful generation. Isn't it interesting what Jesus says there? If you're ashamed of me, individual, and the things that I'm saying, and we as believers should not be, but if we are, notice he says, why are you so ashamed? Because it's already an adulterous and wicked generation. Uh, And it's not like everybody is already Christians and everybody's perfect people. No, we're living in a fallen world. We're living in a world where people are dead in their trespasses and sin. We're living in a world where we ought to expect non-Christian people to do the things that they're doing, to hate us. We ought to expect that. But we act surprised, don't we? He says, if you are ashamed of me in this wicked and adulterous adulterous and sinful generation of him, the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory with his Father and with the holy angels. When it all said and done, when Jesus comes back and he comes to rule and reign as king, he says, if you don't follow, you won't go. (laughs) You're ashamed of me, I'll deny you. That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. Tough message. Tough message. Let's pray. Thank you for listening today. And remember, you can find more information about Pastor Mike and the church at our website, www.fbclp.life.